0: The lesson palliative care has to teach the rest of the healthcare is to, to slow down, to listen, to be empathetic, to realize that you're treating a person and not a disease. This is the When You Die podcast. If it has to do with death and dying, we're talking about it.
1: Today's host is Kelly McLean. My guest today is Peggy McGuire. Peggy is the president of Cambia Health Solutions, a century old organization dedicated to transforming health care. They're a family of over 20 companies that work together to make the healthcare system more economically sustainable and efficient for people and their families. Their solutions empower more than 70 million Americans nationwide. Peggy is the champion of many causes, chief among them is palliative care, which, was, which we explore in this conversation we had at the 2018 Endwell Symposium, one of America's leading death and dying conferences. And for a recap of that, go to our website, whenyoudie.org. In the meantime, enjoy Peggy. Cambia Health Solutions is a total
0: health solutions company located in Portland, Oregon, we have about 5,000 employees, um, and I think 20-something companies in our family of companies. Um, our reason for being, you know, why we exist, is to serve as a catalyst to transform healthcare, mm-hmm. to make it more person-focused and economically sustainable. So Cambia rests on four pillars. There's four major pillars of the companies. Um, one is the foundation which I lead. Second is our 100 year legacy as a health insurance company. Third is our uh, consumer experience platform that we're building um, that's in beta testing right now but we'll be launching to the market in 2019. And then um, the fourth one is a joint venture between Cambia and Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina, mm-hmm. where we're jointly investing in solutions that will help people throughout their healthcare journey.
1: So that's refreshing. Yeah, it's
0: a really, I mean, we're, I think we're, you hate to give yourself a compliment, but I think we're a pretty innovative company that starts from looking at the experience that people have with the healthcare system. You know, we, we fundamentally have looked at places where the system is in need of change and of transformation. And clearly one of those areas is in helping guide families through serious illness care. Um, yeah, so when we set up the foundation back in 2007, we wanted to pick an area in healthcare that needed transformation, so, and based on personal experiences, we knew that this journey through serious illness and end of life was yeah. in need of transformation, and that's where we really started investing um, philanthropically to change the culture of
1: healthcare. Kind of to t- is it is the idea to take the focus away from um Trying to, I loved one of the doctor. One of the, the the second guy who spoke today was a doctor, and he said that he was like, you know, he came in as a warrior in in the war against death. Like it that, was his job to defeat yeah. death.
0: Yeah, that so resonated with me. Um, I I think I have mentioned. I have talked to so many people today, so. Forgive me if I've told you this before, but um, when I was 23 years old, my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer, and it was the first time anyone in our family had ever been sick or anything. You know, he was a pretty active guy, so it was a real shock to the family that he got sick, and so we kind of fought the disease with everything that we could. We That was the language, you're gonna fight it. He's a fighter, he's not giving right. up, you know. strong
1: versus weak. Right, right.
0: And so we, he had chemo, he had radiation. By the time he was diagnosed, which was in October, he had a tumor in his lymph node. And the reason he found out about it was he was at the golf course and he had trouble swinging the golf club. And so he we went to the doctor to have a look at that. And there was a tumor in his lymph node um, and in his lungs and in his brain. So obviously it was pretty far along, but we didn't know better, you know. Um, And no one suggested palliative care. No
1: one suggested a different path. It was just like, let's... And there's no education you get in school or anywhere to tell you that 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 exists or that you have... You know, you don't Options. have to do exactly what the doctor thinks is best. Right,
0: right. And it, so it's just, that was a major, I think we've, that was a while ago, you know, and I think healthcare's come a long
1: way since then. And then at but the same time, there are people <laughs> yeah. my age who have the same story about their dad, more or less.
0: Yeah. So I think, I mean, that's why this investment uh, that we've made through the foundation, We've invested over $30 million to advance the field of palliative care wow. because we think that it has the potential to change that experience for people with serious illness and their families. It really is focused on you know, the goals of care, the what, what matters to people, right? And what are their goals, values, and preferences? And then creating a treatment at plan that... Um, Helps them live well every day of their lives. Uh, so I just, I feel like we've come a long way in healthcare, but there's still a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think a lot of it depends on um, enabling and empowering consumers to put pressure on the system because I think we've, we've, educated or we, we need to continue to educate doctors and change and spend more time on things like communication skills and, you know, understanding that healing may not involve the fighting the disease, but healing the spirit, right? Um, there just needs, but consumers and people with serious illness and their caregivers really have, um, the opportunity to become educated and to make demands <laughs> on on the way that they want to live and the way they want to die.
1: Yeah. So the the it, what is the obstacle with that you're facing with that and with you know people's um, openness to palliative care to begin with.
0: I think the biggest obstacle that I'm seeing is people are unfamiliar with palliative care. They tend to equate it with hospice. They think, um, you know, palliative care is really appropriate at any age and any stage of a disease. It's really that extra layer of support that helps
1: people with serious illness live well. It's not actually, it's very synonymous with, you know, just making you comfortable in your final days, but that's not actually the definition of it.
0: Right, right. right. So that's that's hospice, what yeah. you're talking about. And I think, you know, hospice is a specific Medicare benefit that requires a person to give up curative treatment and to um, have a doctor certify that they only have six months to live. That... Um, that's not palliative care. You know, palliative care is best provided at the time of diagnosis um, all the way through the journey with serious illness. I mean, I think it helps people deal with the diagnosis itself, right, to, to emotionally and spiritually respond to that kind of a diagnosis and then to live well with the serious illness, um, you know, and they may recover.
1: From, Does it even improve their chance? I mean, I would say yeah, it might even there, help them improve to have that kind of care.
0: There have been there's a major, famous study, that is, uh, pa- people who receive palliative care actually live longer and experience less depression than people who do not receive
1: palliative Amazing. care.
0: Yeah, and, and the and the survivor, their family members um, are suffer less grief and less less depression as well. Do you remember that where that study is um, from? One That's of the, so cool. One of the studies I'm referring to is the TEML study, but there's been a number of studies huh. um, that I, I can send you some of the sites to them. I have
1: that I paper in my office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yeah. would be great. Yeah. That's amazing because it sounds like some people might refuse palliative care because they they see it. As throwing in the towel, so to speak. I think that happens a lot. I
0: recently just anecdotally talked to a dad at the airport whose daughter had been diagnosed with breast cancer, and I was talking to him about my work in palliative care, and he said, oh, when they talked to my daughter about that, she said, no, I'm not ready, right? And And so it just shows there continues to be this misunderstanding about what it is. It must not be fully explained right, if that's the case. I think that's right. That's right. And I think people talk about it in a number of different ways. Um, So, And the the way people have talked about it has changed over the years. Mm -hmm. So I think what we need is to get all of the uh, people speaking the same language (laughs) and pull together as many... Different organizations that we can and say, you know, what are the words that we want to use to describe this? Somebody said, "Whoever turned um, squid into calamari should be hired." Yeah, <laughs> to change, you know,
1: brilliant palliative care. Yeah, we we need a major social marketing campaign because it's a it's actually just a word that maybe makes some people's hackles go up. Cause right. They only, Right. know it in reference to when grandma was in hospice or whatever. Right, exactly. Interesting. Empathy is sometimes lacking
0: in healthcare. You know, we talk about, um, and I know that it leads to dissatisfaction for providers as well, because I think people go into medicine because they want to help and they want to heal. And then they get into our broken system and they have to see people at 15-minute increments. Empathy and health has been removed from healthcare, And it shouldn't, it's the, one of the most important, one of the most personal things that we deal with is our health and well-being. But we have made it difficult for our healers to be empathetic in the way that we've set up payment systems and
1: et cetera. So... As well as their burnout, which one of the speakers was just talking yeah, about.
0: Yeah. I mean, because we're asking them to do a lot. They, right?
1: Like the doctor will make you feel like they don't have time for you. And it is also true that they don't really have time for you. Because right. that's not the way they've right. been told to schedule. Yeah, that um, second speaker, I think
0: he that really resonated with me because of my dad's experience. And I have a brother-in-law who's a doctor. And because of his experience and mm-hmm. help working with people and seeing people, you know, frequently. <laughs> Um, so palliative care returns empathy to healthcare yeah. and it really starts with, uh, that one-on-one conversation and the communication and the relationship between a doctor and a patient, but like a true relationship where they talk about what matters to you as opposed to what's the matter with you. Right. And then, and the patient feels heard and respected and then the palliative care doctor um, helps to create a treatment plan that honors the patient's wishes for their health and well-being. And I just I think that the lesson palliative care has to teach the rest of the healthcare is to to slow down, to listen, to be empathetic, to realize that. You're treating a person and not a disease. Um, That's, I think, you know, when we treat um, body
1: parts, we lose sight of the fact that we're treating real people. Mm -hmm. It reminds me very much being seven some months pregnant of the, you know, the kind of care that I've received from doctors. And, and I had a really great doctor, but I chose to switch to midwifery care. But, and I'm really glad I did because they actually sit with me and talk for longer periods of time. They're really curious about, you know, previous injury I had or the fact that I'm in grief, you know, right. or right. whatever. Right, your whole person. They're yeah, yeah, they're taking that into account. And that is a part of what they yeah. should be treating, right? right. They're get, right. they're getting a better idea of what they're treating. So, yeah. that yeah. just that shift, yeah. um, it seems like something similar would be helpful throughout. Yeah. And ha- it, I mean, doesn't it seem so obvious
0: that that should be it seems, the part it's of our really health? Care system. It
1: seems so funny, and it probably was people's first intention. It probably was that way in the beginning, right. and more of like a hand in hand healer. relationship and then it just has gotten so far from anything intuitive yeah
0: and it's funny
1: um I don't know if it's in the way that
0: we train doctors but I'm sure that there's room to improve that to 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 help with communication skills to help with
1: um thinking about the patient as a whole person completely and also how they're treated right um my ex is a doctor and we were together when he was in medical school and uh i was really shocked to see what he went through and how he was treated and when when you're treated like so like you're so unimportant right right then it kind of spreads out i think as well
0: it's interesting is um long ago i'm a lawyer by training and I think that in law school, they told I I in my past life um, was I think a really good writer and a creative writer. And then when I was in law school, they taught me to write like a lawyer and to think like a lawyer, so you can construct really yeah. great arguments and yeah. um, prove. You know, how do you prove this point? And um, and I think. I had to relearn some creativity after uh-huh. a long period of time, because you were rewarded for thinking a certain way. Right, um,
1: so you have a Pavlov, Pavlovian reaction right. to it, and
0: that's what the law firms are looking for. And I'm, I I don't know because I'm not a doctor, but I imagine there's a similar process for medical mm-hmm. students. And so then you know somebody wakes up mid career and says. Huh, what happened to empathy? (laughs) You know, this isn't why I went to med school, right? I came to help people and that may cause, you know, suffering
1: even for physicians and healers. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So you you spoke at, at the end of your presentation about doing about, you know, kind of envisioning a more, you know, sane, healthy, whatever you want to call it, healthcare system. And I was wondering if you would share with us what that vision looks like to you.
0: I think it's a lot more consumer-driven. You know, I think it's not one-size-fits-all, but I think it's trying to figure out a way to personalize healthcare and make it relevant to people at different stages of their life, whether it's birth, you know, or being a new mom, to, um, you know, being a mom with two kids and whatever, to, you know, it's being present at each major phase of someone's life but being it there in a way that's not we're smarter than you will tell you what to do but more we will honor you through your life journey and we will help you navigate this complex system um but but it's fundamentally respecting people and respecting people as intelligent, whole human beings
1: and um, personalizing care according to what's important to them. Yeah, and what effect do you think that would have on the patient and society as a whole? I think um,
0: there'd be greater sense of well-being, greater satisfaction, both um, for consumers, for family caregivers... And ultimately, I think for cl- clinicians as well. Yeah. So I, th- I think um, we need to return empathy to healthcare.
1: Mm. That's a beautiful vision and mission. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I'll wrap us up, but I, I wanted to ask also for, for people who don't really know much about palliative care, who is available, like, who is um, eligible? For palliative care, and like who is actually <coughs> receiving it?
0: Well, um, anyone with a life limiting illness or a serious illness, such as a cancer diagnosis, um, heart disease, um, COPD, you know, a, a serious illness, um, and it, it can be, it's best provided alongside of curative care. Um, early on in the trajectory of a disease so that it can ease the burden through serious illness. Um, also eligible for palliative care are people who have been in, 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 who have been injured, like let's say in a car accident and they're, they are suffering and, um, trying to heal. They, palliative care helps them in that process as well. So, um, the other thing I would say is palliative care is not limited to people with old age mm-hmm. or people who are actively dying. Um, children can receive palliative care. Um, new moms can receive palliative care. You know, there's neonatal mm-hmm. um, palliative care, um, and the and there's pe- pediatric palliative care, and it requires different. You know, kids are not many adults. Kids are. Yeah. Um, kids with serious illness are dealing with different issues and their, their siblings are affected and their whole families are affected. So palliative care is really um, people who are eligible It's any stage of well, any age, any stage of a serious diagnosis or injury, um, and that's, that's it. I mean, people, it's not like hospice where people... Are limited to receive it if they're
1: they only have six months to live. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And what does it look look like? I'm sure it looks different in all those <coughs> cases were so different from one another. Yeah. But o- overall,
0: I think fundamentally, it's um, specialized communication skills. So communicating in a way that understands the whole person and what's important to that person, um, and um, helping them to understand the different choices that they make. So they have informed choices about their care and they, and then it's relief of pain and symptom management. So the burden of serious illness. So it's helping people with um, either the pain that's brought about by their disease or the pain that's caused by the treatment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, chemotherapy makes people really sick. And so palliative care will help um, ease those
1: physical burdens of the treatment. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, wonderful. Well, I, the last thing, I often like to ask people, uh, if you have one wish for your own death, what would that be? Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to go back to
0: Justin <laughs> and his talk this morning. It's like, I want to be greeted Um, at the end of my journey by the people that love me Mm -hmm. um, and the people that I've loved. Um, And yeah, that's my one wish. This conversation is brought to you by the When You Die Project. From existential afterlife questions to palliative care and the nuts and bolts of green burial, if it has to do with death, we're talking about it. When You Die
1: dot